Good Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston. No one's across from me right now because our co-host Charlie is not here, but I am on the line with Faisal Saeed Al-Mutar, who is the founder of the global nonprofit Ideas Beyond Borders. Faisal was 12 when he saw American tanks rolling into his home country of Iraq. He survived the Iraq Civil War, the murder of his older brother, and multiple kidnapping attempts before becoming a refugee in the U.S. in 2013. This was a great conversation, and we'll talk a lot about his story and then what he's doing with Ideas Beyond Borders. Let's get into the interview. So as as we were talking beforehand, you have a very extensive backstory and uh, very interested in everything that Ideas Beyond Borders uh, does as well. So why don't you fill everyone in on what you think they need to know? Um, well, I'm originally from Iraq. Um, I grew up after the first Gulf War in 1991, under the sanctions and the regime of Saddam Hussein. Um, I grew up in a residential neighborhood, and most of the people were apolitical, but some were affiliated with the former regime. When the U.S. came into Iraq in 2003, my neighborhood moved from a typical residential area into where Al-Qaeda headquarters were in West Baghdad, where I grew up. Um, so I switched from living under Saddam to living under Al-Qaeda. Uh, in terms of information, which is really the subject of Ideas Beyond Borders, I always compare Iraq to, we moved from 1984 to Brave New World, uh, from centralized information from Saddam and his son, uh, controlling all means of information, education system, etc. Um, and to really every every section of the country having this on media channel and what's sometimes called the balkanization of information. So uh, the way that there is no truth, there's no standardized truth, there could be a suicide bomber in the next area and everybody will say somebody have, has done um, something else. And during that period, I became very outspoken about really extremism and, and all of that and some of with many of my friends. Um, I ended up on a death list mm-hmm. in West Baghdad. I had to leave Iraq in 2009. Um, and I moved to multiple countries to Southeast Asia, uh, where I applied to come to the United States, and I get accepted as a refugee in 2013. Um, I, within a year of arrival, I started working on a project funded by Google Ideas about how to use technology to solve so- problems in in, in social in, in close societies, uh, mostly in the Middle East, plus called movements. And then I developed some. Uh, energy and knowledge to actually understand what is mostly needed. Um, and, I, and for that, I started Ideas Beyond Borders, which is an organization that's focused on making inaccessible information accessible in closed societies with a big focus on the Middle East. We're mostly known in the region as the organization that have by now translated maybe 50 million words uh, from different languages into Arabic and, and Farsi and Kurdish and Pashto now we do that too. And it's mostly focuses on the ideas of liberty, the ideas of that that many authoritarians and extremists don't like. So this is uh, this is really the central piece of what we do. Now, when it comes to censorship, I heard you tell a story uh, about what you were told when uh, during the Kuwait invasion and what was going on with that. Uh, what what were the people of Iraq told about that? 
So for those for those of us who are kind of distant from the war zones, I grew up in Baghdad, and and Baghdad is where Saddam had uh, his kind of stronghold. Um, we were told a completely different story, and and, and from what eventually I discovered reality to be, um, we were told that America and Israel launched an invasion, led by led, leading thirty three countries, um, led an invasion into Baghdad, and so they were invading Iraq, and Iraq won with the support of of God and all of that stuff, and it was called the mother of all battles. So the name of Iraq side was the mother of all battles. That, well, almost all Iraqi wars are very dramatic in name, and, and this one is is definitely on the top of the list. So America invades and with Israel, and then America lost, and that's why you still have Saddam power. Um, and that was the story, that, the official narrative. The, the thing is that for those who did know some of the narrative, they were afraid to tell the story. Um, in my case, um my my parents and others were afraid that everything i can hear at the house i will be telling it to elementary school some of my friends and back at the time after the the the, the kuwait war uh it was believed that one out of four adults is in the intelligence services so so you, you can have people like your best friend is snitching on you you can have you can you, you are in kind of an environment um of of trust i call it like authoritarianism in the head in which you start becoming afraid of your own neighbors, your own friends. Um, so you, you don't really get to talk about these subjects. And uh, that was really the, the ecosystem in which most Iraqis, especially those in, in, in the capital, were living under uh, from 1991 to eventually the fall of the regime in 2003. This is much more like 1984 than I imagined it to be, and much more like uh, what we hear from North Korea than I uh, actually imagined it to be. Um, now when I'm curious, yeah. when the U S when you saw the U S tanks, um, what were your original feelings at that time? Were you in support of this happening or, or were you very against it or were your family in support of it or against it? And how has that changed over time? If it has, if you're honest, I mean, at that time, uh, what we were seeing in television was completely different with what we were seeing outside the window. So back when when the war was happening in, in April, um, so it started in March, but when they came to Baghdad, it was in April, was you would see the official television and they were being told that the US military and the British military were still being defeated in the South. And there is some battle at the airport, but we are winning. Um, and the airport is, is not that far from where I lived. And so there was that, that that's what, was, what we are being told. And then um, I, my brother was saying, oh, look, there are American tanks in front of our house on the highway. And then within like hours, the, the fight skirmish really happened between the Iraqi military who was set based in my elementary school um, and the US military. So, so the days of the war, um, the, the actual days, we lived it in which there was kind of constant fighting, uh, our house was constantly shaking we we hear our glass like there's a bullet coming to our glass so so at the, at the moment of the war we were kind of between shocked that this is really happening um because i mean it was really hard for us to believe that like saddam hussein could ever fall i mean he was sort of like a demigod in which everybody was everybody was afraid of so 
in, in that context is that we were really shocked that this is like even the kind of the real world happening is it's not um it was not something that was expected um and in in terms of i mean my feelings concerning that most of us grew up under the sanctions which were um really that really tough periods within Iraq history many of us were eventually became kind of excited that this uh would would even like Iraq would be removed from sanctions and kind of economic situation and and, and peace um comes a reality um that's that freedom that kind of feeling which I still very appreciate which is from really the end of the war until maybe like June 2003 um so really a couple months and that's when Al-Qaeda and most of the former Iraqi military became militarized and then they and then the civil war started or at least the beginning of the civil war so that's when really the most of the feelings were were down there were this kind of couple of months of feeling that there's extreme like liberation and 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 all of that and then within months then the kind of this the initial the civil war or the initial stages of the civil war started but I remain I mean I just came back from Iraq and we just opened an office there um I I Iraq has changed um a lot since I left it uh for the positive um there is I reconnected with some of my high school friends who I haven't seen for 12 years and um they are telling me that the situation right now is much better than the times that I left during the civil war there's a lot of issues a lot of chaos but comparison to what it used to be it's 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 very different so that gives me a lot of optimism about the country I read uh I read you say on Substack that you felt betrayed when the US left Iraq and I was reading of course about our withdrawal from Afghanistan as well that I wanted to ask you about um what why did you feel betrayed when the US uh, decided to leave Iraq uh what did you expect uh, otherwise and then I want to like I said I want to ask about Afghanistan as well uh, the U.S. left in a, in the middle of an of a really, in my opinion, was a winning war. Um, so in in 2007, there, there was the surge, and then after the surge, there was a movement called the Awakening Forces. There's a different name for it called the Sons of Iraq, in which there were a lot of locals who were start taking responsibility um, for for fighting terrorist groups and mainly Al Qaeda at the time, which eventually evolved into what's called ISIS and um that was in a time in which there were so many people who really put their lives on the line um fighting with the us against the threat of terrorism and then in the middle of that um not only we, we were having a sectarian government that was going to antagonize the, the the sunni faction of the iraq population um the us decided and that was uh even though there was a signed agreement under bush but the withdrawal under obama in which they okay this is not our business and we're now withdrawing to the bases and we'll leave Iraq and then ISIS showed up and so I think that it's, it's not something that I only feel is is something that many who really put their lives on the line um who are fighting with the United States and 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 to against uh, the threat of terrorism and the same people who attacked America in in, in 2001 and then in the middle of that um we say no this this is not our business and now and now we're out so i mean i, I wasn't def def definitely a fan of that the us will stay forever or anything of that sort 
But that was a very bad time, in my opinion, to withdraw, uh, considering that people, it took a while until many of those who used to be kind of sympathetic or really didn't mind, um, they, they thought that Al-Qaeda was just protecting them from Iran and other Shia militants. Uh, that was a time in which they realized that they have to fight. And they were kind of in the initial stages. And uh, then... And they had some win some winnings. That that's where my neighborhood and uh, in, in Adel district and others in West Baghdad were liberated. And there was kind of the the big battle of of, of going to the, the areas where Al Qaeda had more stronghold. And uh, then in the middle of it, that that mission was kind of abandoned. Um, and really, those those who put their lives on the line were being targeted and killed one by one. And uh, some of some of us and th those who were more involved had to leave the country, and uh, yeah, so that that was the, the the feeling. The general feeling is that the U.S. like wasn't really committed with the Iraqis to do this fight, and um, so as a result, it left with a worse reputation than it had when it first started the war. So so I don't know how beneficial it was for the U.S. to keep. Uh, fighting Al Qaeda at the time and and really get at least stabilize that country enough that 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 more threat will not come um, and I, I think that that will be always remembered would be the U.S. story uh, for Iraq and then eventually they get involved again when mm. when ISIS showed up and then that the so in a way it's like if you have finished the work before why do you need to be involved again. <laughs> it's it, it did a similar thing in Afghanistan you know in talking you uh, you wrote a piece about. Uh, them losing their credibility and the trust with the way the Afghanistan withdrawal uh, went. And you you talked about, uh, you know, you're doing a lot of work with uh, in, in translators, right? Interpreters, people like that. And uh, I believe that was one of the groups of people I heard a lot about as it pertains to the Afghanistan uh, withdrawal. Because, of course, anyone who was there helping U.S. troops, uh, those people are going to end up on on a list uh, that they don't want to be on a list that you've been on before which by the way i forgot to ask how did you get on that list i want to go back to that real quick how did you get on that death list you were on um honestly it's not very difficult to piss off okay okay <laughs> to piss off uh, <laughs> al-qaeda and many of these groups um unfortunately many of even people from my high school uh were sympathetic so it really takes a word of mouth and and in, in many cases Sometimes even accusations. I mean, there are people, unfortunately, who got killed for being accused that they are from one of the things that ISIS wanted, uh, Al Qaeda wanted to kill. So the list is that if you support democracy, that's one. If you support any form of liberalism or kind of of secular values, that's one. Um, anything that if if you kind of are from the local community um, and you have some leverage within the local community because one of the things that they wanted to erase, um, in a way, the funny kind of another organization is called Ideas Beyond Borders, but with, with some of those terrorist groups that also operate beyond borders, mm. um, they like to, one of the things they really focus on is erasing local identity. They want to create a global kind of caliphate or global identity. So anyone they consider to be, I think I checked more than one of one of the things on that list yeah, yeah. in terms of, of uh being kind of outspoken and, and really being very supportive of the fight against Al-Qaeda. And uh, they they wanted to raise me and raise a lot of people who were um, in, in that kind of scope. And um, eventually uh, they, I mean, I'm, I guess I consider myself lucky that 
I was on the list that I was able to be notified before I got killed because many people um, who are dead today, we don't know why they were killed um, because it's, it's uh, it was an amazingly chaotic situation, which there were so many checkpoints and I had secondary ID. So I had like a real ID and a fake ID and had different last names. So even when I was going through Al Qaeda checkpoints, I had a different ID. So in that way, uh, if they did check the name or they, they find that it's a different last name. Um, and at the time there was no advanced kind of AI imaging or, or HD pictures and stuff like that. So there is that still loophole in which you can navigate the environment that I was able to utilize for me to be alive today. How nervous were you when you were going through and you would use that second ID? Extremely nervous. Um, I mean, the, the, the teenage years, um, me and my high school friends, uh, we were really training ourselves um, how quickly we can show our second idea when we get asked. Uh, because it, it that was also a time in which many people were being killed because Al-Qaeda started noticing that there were people who were faking their identity and all that. So one of the things that they that we kind of self-trained ourselves, self-educate ourselves on is that so Al-Qaeda is, is generally viewed as a, as a Sunni militia. So Sunnis and Shias in Iraq pray differently uh, in terms of the, the way they stand and pray. So what Al-Qaeda generally look for is that if you are raised as a Sunni, you will pray exactly in that way. So they ask people to get out of the car and pray. And if they see that you're slow when you're praying or they see that you're not saying you're saying some of the sentences that are in a Shia prayer, uh, not going into the details because there are some nuances between these two texts. And so if they get the hints that you're faking it, they immediately shoot you in the street. Wow. And uh, so, so the, the usual nervousness is and these these are, as, as I mentioned, I mean, the between my my house at the time and and, and my high school, there were at least three to four checkpoints. Um, and then that the, the usual, and then after a while, that is kind of part of the story is that after a while they get desensitized. And because it becomes like your daily life. It's not, it's not something at the beginning, that was where I would say the nervous part comes in is that, uh, you're not used to it. You, you freak out. Um, and then after a bit, you just feel like, you know what, if they kill me, they kill me. Like, I don't longer care. I mean, what is this life anyway? So so you start having, you start reaching a level in which you get used to seeing people killed and you, um, you're like, okay, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. There's nothing I can do about it. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Well, we're always growing and changing, so getting to know yourself can be a lifelong process. One thing I learned is self-awareness. I learned how to understand situations from different points of view. Over time, we learn what our personal boundaries are and what we need to find meaning and happiness in our lives. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. I've used a therapy. It can be very beneficial. My life has gotten immensely better since trying it. And Charlie does it too. In fact, he's been a BetterHelp customer for years. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out the brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. That's betterhelp.com slash GML today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, 
H-E-L-P.com slash G-M-L. I was going to ask, and I know I'm jumping all over the place now, but I just wonder, when you see people in the U.S. and you see, you, you tell us what you grew up through and the things that you had to worry about. When you see, like, teenagers in the U.S. complaining about, I don't know, their their cell phone plan or there's or their something like that, I mean, are you ever, like, you should just have some gratitude for how great this place is that you're growing up in. You know, do you ever think that way? Um, I try not to. Uh, <laughs> I think it's, uh, I'm I'm glad that most people around the world didn't have my upbringing. It's mm. not something that uh, I would l- like to inflict even on my enemies. So, I mean, I'm glad that this is, uh, uh, this is something that having a, changing a cell phone plan is is uh, <laughs> uh, that being said, I think that it's it would it's very helpful for um, many people who live here to be familiar with what's happening overseas. I mean, I live in New York City, and in many cases, I see people they they kind of will be like, "Oh, life here is terrible," and things like that. Um, I mean, I don't know, it's terrible compared to to heaven, but but yeah. relatively speaking, America is. It's fucking awesome. Yeah. Uh, it's a pretty great place to be in. I really so think is that it's very important for Americans to have an outside perspective um, and even to travel to these countries, not just to listen to stories, but even be there and and, and see what, what the life of, of billions of people who are living under authoritarianism today. It's a it's a life changing thing uh, for sure. The first time I went to I went to Djibouti, I went to Kuwait and UAE and Bahrain and uh and some some places like that uh, out there. Travel through Saudi Arabia, uh, which is, I mean, I know what it's like to have someone look at you and like hate you and want bad things to come upon you. Going going through some of those those places, um, it was a life changing experience actually going there and seeing those places, especially in in Djibouti. Uh, that what yeah, people, I was thinking like the UAE probably had a good time. No, I mean that we were in Abu Dhabi. It was a, it was okay. You know that that wasn't too bad. Um, in Kuwait, we stayed in the real nice hotel in in, in Kuwait City. I mean, it, it was it was nice. Uh, you know the one? Have you seen the one? that looks like a kind of like a pirate ship. Uh, like a. I've never been. I've never been to Kuwait, but okay. I've been to the UAE, and it's. Uh, yeah. It looks like a sci-fi city. I, I know. We didn't uh, get to go to Dubai. Dubai. I was upset about not going to Dubai. We were in Abu Dhabi, but um, but Djibouti that was a way different experience. When you get when you have someone beg you for water, uh, you you'll learn to have gratitude for the things that you have. I've never been begged for water before, and that that was a life changing experience. Yeah, it's, it's I mean Djibouti, and, and now um, and if you're catching up with the news, there is a kind of a coup d'état in Sudan. Mm-hmm. I mean, then there's a potential humanitarian crisis now. Um, Yemen is uh, one of the places where it's almost now. It's also one of the most humanitarian crises. It's very unfortunate that there's this is a life of uh, tens of millions and hundreds of millions of people. Yeah, and so uh, I want to get back to the our withdrawal from Afghanistan and how this is hurting our credibility and trust. And uh, I want to talk about. Uh, how the U.S. is looking on the world stage right now, because there's some other people stepping up at the moment, uh, like China. I don't think things are going the way that the U.S. government assumed it would go, or the way that it, I guess it's always gone. And uh, do you think Afghanistan withdrawal had a lot to do with that? It was definitely a signal. Um, I mean, uh, from my travels to the region and talking to many folks who who are uh, looking, always used to be at the, I said, I mean, the U.S. allies, and um, is that 
as I, as you mentioned, I mean, the, the U.S. doesn't exist in a vacuum. There are other superpowers that are also trying to to define the world in their world, world in their own order. They want they want to create the Russian world order, or we're seeing it now in Ukraine, and we're seeing the the Chinese world order, um, and there's the American world order, and they they the withdrawal from both Iraq and Afghanistan, and also the Arab Spring and kind of the U.S. what it did during the Arab Spring. It's a signal that the U.S. is not um, a trustworthy ally. Is that it can stand with you for a bit and then leave you leave you when when there is a change of presidency, there is a new election, the, um, there is no consistent policy, and they see other groups like Russia. So, like when Russia stood to Bashar al-Assad, they did it, and they said the Russian policy is that we stand by Bashar al-Assad, and even though Assad was in his most difficult days and, and there were a lot of attempts to overthrow him, eventually Russia stood by him and then they, he won. Um, and so they see that there is a kind of a great difference between um, the kind of the China model. And, and if, if you meet, meet with the foreign minister of China and they tell you, well, the official position of Xi Jinping is this, then uh, that, that he's going to be the president for life. So what you have right now is exactly what might have 10 years from now. The thing with the U.S., and, and, I, and I blame a lot on that, on polarization, on the polarization of American politics, is that I look at videos from about the Cold War, and you see that really like JFK or Nixon and others, all of them were anti-communism. All of them had kind of maybe some different methodologies to fight communism in different ways to deal with it. But there was kind of a consistent policy that the Soviet Union was a threat and we have to do what it takes to make sure that we limit the the, the spread of communism and the spread of the Soviet Union. Now it's very different. So, so there is different different um, the different parties or different foreign policies look at these subjects kind of very differently. What, what we should we do about Iran? One party we should end the deal, and one party says we should sign a deal. And these the ramifications these have a lot of ramifications into how, for example, Saudi Arabia views the United States. So the United States says they want to be closer to Iran and they want to sign a deal with Iran, then they will, Iran is this next door to them. So the thing is like, they don't have the privilege that that um, many countries, and, and you, you mentioned the countries you've been to, Kuwait. I mean, Kuwait is, is, is a tiniest country. Like <laughs> they don't have the ability to to risk, uh, I mean, with a couple rockets on Kuwait, the, the whole businesses will shut down. They, they don't have that kind of leverage in, 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 in their policies. So they're seeing a consistent trend within within the U.S. of that. I mean, the withdrawal from Afghanistan. America had roughly twenty years in that country. They could have dedicated the last two years for the withdrawal and make it in a, a slow way that not ended up with people falling from planes. Um, so they 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 see that the U.S. is is really signaling um, its lack of interest um there is always changing policies that oh we should deal with china at the in taiwan but not deal with china and in, in, in other countries so that destroys i mean further destroys u.s credibility in the region for it not to be taken seriously i mean i cannot imagine being a, a u.s diplomat at the moment so your, <laughs> your life must be really difficult in which you meet with with a with a, a leader of a country and then they tell you well i met with a former diplomat and he told me completely something completely different and why should i trust you this time and that kind of will i think that the withdrawal from Afghanistan, seeing that even the us like did not care about the people who worked directly with them 
um, or or they left even some of the soldiers. I mean, there were a lot of days in which we have to take the soldier that the U.S. had to take the soldiers out. The fact that even the people who fought for the U.S. were left in such and such dire conditions um, that signals that the U.S. is not serious about even some of the people who fought for the U.S. or fought with the U.S. Um, so how do you expect a sheikh or any 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 foreign leader in many of these countries will take the U.S. seriously if, if the U.S. does not take its people and and the people who fought with it seriously. So the the, the um, Afghanistan withdrawal, I think, was kind of the last straw for how many people made their decision. Um, and I'm hoping that there will be uh, a lot of attempt to really rebuild that trust um, within many of, many of these countries and, and many of these countries that used to be allies, um, not not ones that are adversary or try to play both sides. And do you see do you see China stepping in to kind of be that constant for those countries right now? Some of them, at least, not all of them. But uh, you know, you mentioned with Xi Jinping, uh, he decides something and he's going to be president for life, and so that's easy. Our system of government is not really set up uh, for this kind of thing. That's one of the ways it was specifically set up for for that reason. It's always changing, so we can't do this long term thing uh, forever. So maybe China set up better, and that's who they want to hitch their wagon to. Well, as I mentioned, I mean, I love the fact that the U.S. is a democracy, and I think that that puts us in a, in a, in a constitutional republic, to be more accurate, and and, and um, it allows that kind of advanced way of, of debate and dialogue, and if we are stuck in a mistake, we should not be, continue doing it. So, so I love the fact that, that it's ever-changing. Um, and that being said, I mean, there is, the world is, some cases, static. So you need to figure out a way to, in which you you have constant evolution while at the same time sticking to some policies to to maintain um so that's what sorry, I said well it's like you uh, mentioned we went through uh, uh, JFK uh, Nixon so, all these people they were they were against communism there was the, this common goal or this common this yeah, common exactly. thread for everyone and we don't have that anymore uh you know that's just not the case it's yeah. what republicans think what democrats think you can't agree with either one of them and and now it became like kind of a, a trend for you to look different than the other folks. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that is the, the the thing is that kind of unity is not sexy anymore. Um, and definitely China is filling up the the gap. I mean the the fact is that the the thing with China is that right now what they are aiming for, which I think is very intelligent, and 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 the way they message to the kind of the Arab world and 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 Middle East in general is that. They're like, we're not here to try to change our your culture. We're not here trying to tell you what to do. You have human rights abuses. That's very fine. We have the same thing back home. Um, and we're here to do business. And we're going to do it for you cheaply. Uh, we're going to bring our own workers. Like the U.S., they want cleaner airports. And the British Petroleum guy needs to stay in a, in a nice place. Well, the Chinese workers are not going to stay in a nice place. I'm going to do it to you in a, the most cheapest way. And also, we're going to give you some surveillance technology. So we spy on our, on our people, and, and now we would like to spy on yours too. So in that way, we can maintain, you can maintain your uh, whatever um, curb on political dissidents or on all of that stuff. So that is the, it's already been applied. I mean, now we're hearing about a lot of reports about Iran using artificial intelligence to detect women without a headscarf. Um, I'm very sure Iran does not have the capacity to do artificial intelligence. That is something that they most likely bought from China. Um, we, within Egypt, there was a lot of arrests a couple of years about 
um, anyone who's a human rights defenders or democracy activists tracking any form of payment they get on PayPal or any other places. I'm very sure that in many cases Chinese technology. Um, many of the airports right now, they, they are hearing news that 2025, they're going to do most of the facial recognition in many of airports around the Middle East. Uh, that will probably be linked to tracking people's financial transactions and everything. So in that way, you criticize the government and you cannot even leave. Um, so because now they, they, they have a system in which they have every name and every face is all matched in a database. None of these technologies ever existed in the Middle East. I mean, the Middle East does not have that capacity. So, so China is expanding its influence. Not, they're not thinking within military terms and building military bases and all of that. They're thinking more within the terms of, of economic, uh, they're thinking more in terms of surveillance and really kind of building an authoritarian alliance. Um, it's cultural, cultural to, enforcement uh, offering to these places. Yeah, which is very valuable. Which is very valuable, and and, and they're, they're messaging it very well uh, in terms of. I mean, I, I follow. In fact, that that China has a massive uh, a TV channel called CGTN, and it's kind of the Russia Today equivalent of China. And it's really fascinating how they show like oh, Muslims dancing in in the streets of Beijing, and they show like. How close are we in terms of culture between Middle East and 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 China? And they try to kind of cozy up and really play it in an intelligent way. And they're telling, well, the U.S. world order is gone. The U.S. is withdrawing. You saw what's happening in Afghanistan. You saw what's happening in Iraq. Um, you, we are committed, and we are staying with you. And for for many of of those in, in power in many countries around in, the, in that region, they will like bring it in. And um, I'm deeply. Uh, afraid that they eventually will win. Um, it looks like the U.S. is not, um, unless we do something, um, the U.S. is not at the moment putting that region as kind of a central focus, which everyone there is feeling. Well, that's why it's so important that Ideas Beyond Borders is doing the work that you're doing. So we can turn this all the way back around to the to the work you're doing, getting these ideas out there for people uh, because really the, the truth is what's so important and that's what the censors are trying to stop all the time and enforcing their specific culture and the, their specific ideas. And, uh, and so how can what you guys are doing help fight against what all of these other people are doing? That's, I think, the advantage of also being a non-governmental organization. Because I mean, for us, we have a, a great team and 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 board and all of that. The way that we don't change <laughs> our policies every four years. Um, and the I mean, the main thing that people can obviously have I been mean, financial support is a thing, but also um, we do our best in terms of sharing the stories of many people who live there. So anybody who's really interested to have to really get to know the 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 facts on the ground not just from reports and from um the media but rather from the people who live there and you'll i think we'll, you'll be very surprised for some maybe your audience not the case but you'll be very surprised about how many people there in iraq in kuwait in in morocco who are really fighting and want to live the same by the value by the same values and the same life that many people here want want to live by so the thing is that the, the values of freedom and the values of liberty, they are universal. And most people are, most people don't want to live under authoritarianism. Most people don't want to be in a place in which if they just say the wrong word, 
uh, they go to jail and maybe their entire family has to go to jail for just saying a joke or, or saying something they that be, uh, be considered offensive by, by authorities. So I think is that really one of my goals is really building that kind of global uh, community or alliance of people who value the value liberty and value um, really the human rights and, and many of the things that here we take for granted. And um, if people are interested, they can go to our website, ideasbeyondborders.org. Uh, they can see a lot of the, the stories that I mentioned, see a lot of our work. I'm very proud that now we are in a capacity that we can translate two books a month. Uh, so now our capacity of really making most of that um, knowledge. I mean, there, there was a time you UN published that report in, in the early 2000s that there are more books translated to Spanish in one year than Arabic in 1,000 years. Uh, that's from the UN Development Reports. And we have kicked ass for the past six years. Like we have, as I said, translated tens of millions of words. We have a team of 200 um, who really made it their life mission to make the books of John Stuart Mill and Adam Smith and Steven Pinker and all of these kind of the ideas that that many authoritarians there don't like available for the general public. And uh, I'm very proud of that and I hope we will we'll continue doing it. That's great. That is really great. Uh, Faisal, thank you so much for your time today. I'm sorry we went just a little bit too long, uh, but uh, I didn't want to cut it off too soon. Uh, but hopefully you can come back on again sometime and talk for Everyone. a little bit longer. I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Thank you.